Amen. Okay, we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, and uh, the title of this series is Jesus is Essential. We looked at so far, Christ is the Savior, Christ is the Creator, Christ is the Head of the Church, and number four, Christ is the Beloved of the Father. That's what we're going to look at today. Christ is the Beloved of the Father. Don't you love being loved? I mean, I really never met anyone who hated truly being loved and cared for by another person. Like now, lack of love can lead to some serious struggles to, for hunger for affection, but we all love to be loved. Maybe you can think back and remember someone in your life as you were growing up and you knew they loved you. It was a love that you remembered and even revel in to this day. It is a love that asks nothing in return. It's an unconditional love. When I think of the past, when I was a kid, I think about my mom's love towards me. I just knew she loved me, and I knew that she was always there for me. I was beloved. And beloved means to cherish, to hold dear, to treasure, and to esteem. And so I knew my mom loved me because she supported me even through my horrible, troubled years. She could have just said, forget you. You're, you're just making all horrible decisions. You're, you're in all these institutions. You're in jail. You're, you know, you're in jail five months. You're in juvenile hall, all of these different things. You're in a mental institution. You're not my son anymore. She could have done that. She could have disowned me, but she didn't. She stayed there with me through the whole thing and supported me. She even loved me when I flunked out of high school and had to transfer to another high school. I got all Fs, straight Fs, you know? And so at least I was consistent, straight Fs. So we moved. But to be beloved really lifts us up and it helps us to have a heightened countenance and a reassured heart. And so as we're looking at these two verses today, what we see is that Jesus is God's beloved. He was valued by the Father. He was cherished. He was held dear. And the important application today for our own lives is that God feels the same way about you and me. You are beloved by the Lord Jesus. He loves you actually so much. You've you've heard it, but at times, maybe you haven't believed it. We need to believe it. We need to walk in that truth and and, and walk in that reality because when we live like we're loved, By the Lord, our countenance will be lifted. Our attitude will shift to joy and we'll be overwhelmingly blessed. The Apostle Paul actually used this term beloved a lot. He often used it before he was about to give a warning, you know, to believers or churches. Basically, he often said that, you know, you are dear to me, you're beloved, so beware of this, beware of lust, or be careful of idols. Don't be swept away. Don't be moved. Beloved, like, When someone is dear to us, we love them, and they are beloved by us. It means we genuinely care for them. Listen to this verse uh, that really, really illuminates this beautiful word. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So Paul's saying, because I care about you guys, Here's how to live. Like when you care about someone, you want the best for them. So let's see how Jesus was beloved by the Father and how we are beloved by the Son. Again, let's just pray for the word to be open as our hearts are open to receive it this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time, Lord. Uh, No time is wasted when it's time with you. And we thank you for this time in your word that truly your word changes us. It speaks to us, Lord. It leads us. It guides us. It helps us to navigate in this fallen world. Lord, we, just, we know the outcome, we know the ending, Lord, so that we, we can walk in victory every day, Lord. We're not victims, we're victorious in you, Christ, and we thank you for that, and thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So for uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So Paul had already called Jesus God's dear son in verse 13, and we know from Ephesians 1, 6, that those who trust in Christ for salvation are accepted by the beloved. For this reason, God can call us his beloved, like in Colossians 3.12. And this was really a term of endearment that really demonstrated a closeness that was unparalleled. And the love of God is agape love, agape love. I'd say that agape love is the only real love in existence because it's love straight from God himself. So this is one of the reasons we talk about a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's, it's not some cold, distant, impersonal relationship going through the motions type action. Our connection with Christ is real, personal, and powerful. Like, we are not just acquaintances with God. That's weird. Oh, hey, how you doing, God? Good. See you later. Like, you know, we don't just visit him once a week to see him only on holidays or something. God's, God's not in prison and we just visit him. Like, we have a relationship with him. We grow and foster that relationship with him. And when we do, we're fostering our relationship with the Lord and growing in the faith. And that's what this Christian life is all about. It's not about staying stagnant. It's about moving forward. We are close to God because of his love and desire for us to be close to him. God's never annoyed by you. You know, others may be even annoyed by us. Like, at times, have you ever just kind of annoyed yourself? You're like, oh, I just got to stop talking. I'm just so annoyed. By, you know, or, but the Lord is never bothered. He's never annoyed by you. you uh, I'm coming to you again, Lord. I'm sorry. Uh, you don't have to make excuses. Lord, I'm coming to you again. I, I, every hour I've been coming to you for like the last month. That's okay. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. When you're a parent, you want to be close to your children, but you don't want to see them as just a roommate. You know, you are their parent and you get to. You don't have to. You get to raise them, love them, and most importantly, disciple them. Like, you want them to feel free to come to you and share their hearts without the constant fear of getting in trouble. If your kids feel like they can come, come to you, then, then you won't, they won't keep secrets from you. They, they won't be scared about the repercussions because they know they can share with you honestly. Instead, they'll be just be open and honest. It, you know, if, if you're a parent, you want your kids to share with you. You don't want them to be like, I'm just going to get grounded again. I don't, I'm not going to just say anything. Your kids are beloved, and you would do anything for them. You want to see them walk with the Lord more than anything else in the world. You're the biggest influence in their life. You are the biggest influence in your kid's life. I remember there was parent, some parents of a youth I used to teach as a youth pastor, and, and they were so bent on me just, just teaching them the Bible, which I did, and just being biblically literate, because of me, though, they depended solely on me for their kid's spiritual walk. And of course, I always taught the youth God's word that I didn't just be like, hey, let's just talk about stuff today, you know? I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm with them only one hour a week. You know, that's it, one hour a week. <laughs> Maybe two if they're there on Wednesdays. But as parents, we are with them every day. And biblically, we are the ones to pour in the truth of the Lord's word into our children. And that's the craziest statistics. No pressure, dads, but it's kind of, it's kind of like is pressure. Christian dads are 80% of their spiritual influence. And that's the thing. Dads, you're the biggest spiritual influence in your kid's life. Christian moms, you're about 21%, 20 or 21% spiritual influence to your kids. So that's the question that I asked myself as I was looking at the word. You know, how is our witness? How is my witness to my kids? 
How are we discipling them? Are we discipling them, praying with them, going through the word with them? Uh, if they are our beloved, then we are. You know, and as parents, my wife and I, we want nothing more than our children to walk with the Lord. That's the number one priority. That will always be the number one priority. And now some would say, well, school, like my dad. He's just always like, finish college. And of course, after I went to jail, I'm like, <laughs> and I got out of jail, I was like, I just need to get a job. So I did concrete for four years. I didn't go to college. Um, I finally barely uh, passed high school, barely. Um, and, and so, but then I went to jail, got out, got a job doing concrete for four and a half years. And then my dad just, go to college, go to college. And, uh, and so I went to college. You know, it took me a long time, but I went to college and I graduated and now I'm using it for nothing. But anyway, but God used it in my life. But um, we don't want to, that's our top priority, to have people see the Lord, that we would put the Lord first, that our kids would put the Lord first, you know? And I know some parents are like, you have to get a 4.0 or you're done. Now, now, yes, we encourage our kids to do well in school, of course. School is important, you know? Uh, but here's the thing. They, they can get a 4.0, they can grow up, you know, and move out, be totally unsaved, and die and be separated from the Lord for eternity. They can get good grades in school, but still end up in hell. Do you see? You see how important? I mean, that's crazy. Our children's souls are more important than anything else in the world. Their souls. If my kids are a success in this life and get a job after college and go on to do great things and world-renowned or whatever, but they don't know the Lord, I failed as a parent. I've totally failed. There are a lot of worldly successful people in hell. Our children are beloved, and we want the best for them, right? Jesus is God's beloved, and we are his beloved. And what a beautiful progression here. Paul then furthered his argument in saying that all the fullness dwell in Christ. Like the word fullness means the sum total of all the divine power and attributes. Paul stole this word from the Gnostics because Paul was writing this letter to warn these believers of the Gnostics. And Paul used this Gnostic word fullness eight times in Colossians, demonstrating that he was meeting these guys on their own ground. Remember, the Gnostics were those who thought they had a higher spiritual knowledge. Like, I, we know more than you guys. We know the real spiritual answers. You guys, you Christians don't, you know. Come to us, we'll, we'll disciple you, we'll tell you the right way to go. But really, they were heretics. They were teaching false doctrine. They were like the religious leaders that, that Jesus interacted with while on this earth. They were, they were in charge, they, knew, they thought they knew the right way. They were trying to convince Christians, no, 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 your way is the wrong way. It's kind of like people knowing part of the word and just making up the rest. Like, that's not ever what we're supposed to do. Well, I know enough of that. Now I know. Now I know exactly. Here's what it says. But they don't really know. You, like, you point it out to them, no, that's actually wrong. Because here in this, this other you know, verse, it, that totally debunks what you're saying. And so, again, we have to be Bereans as believers. Bereans were those who checked the scripture. If someone said something, they're like, wait a second, hold on a second. Let me see. Okay, you're right. Or, okay, you're wrong. Um, and so... Their mission, the Gnostics' mission, Paul was writing this letter to warn against the Gnostics to the Christians. Um, their mission was to lead people away from Jesus being on the throne. Gnostics constantly were attempting to dethrone Jesus, right? At least in the minds of believers in Colossae. So Paul wrote Colossians to encourage and to warn about these guys, against these guys, who were attempting to infiltrate the church with their false doctrine. And to infiltrate, it's a military term that means to disrupt what is normative. These guys lived to disrupt what Christians believed and to disrupt believers' view of Jesus. The word dwell is just as important for it means not just to reside. To dwell means to be at home permanently. And that's what it says here, should dwell. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. 
If you're saving, and I got this at a, for, on sale for $3, uh, but I, I, just, I got this as love lives here. I just got this just because I'm like, that reminds me of like, the Lord Jesus is in our heart's home, right? Love lives here. And we, sometimes we forget that. And we try to find love over here, though. No, no, this is where love is. This is true. No, no, that's not true love. That totally messed up. No, this person, this, oh, no, 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 they failed me. No, no, this thing, this situation, or oh, this belief, this, or, or this worldly doctrine, I'm going to try to find out. No, I'm not fulfilled. I'm not loved there. The only love that we can get is from Christ living in our hearts. He resides in our hearts. To dwell means to be at home permanently. Jesus is at home permanently in our hearts and in our lives. So here. Um, and that's what it says, it pleased the Father, it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. In Christ all the fullness lives. If the unsaved person doesn't trust in Christ for salvation, then they won't be saved. Pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple. See, the natural mind of the unsaved sinner is actually at war with God. Listen to Romans 8, 7. It says, it intensely says, because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So these religious person, the religious person may be morally religious and do good things, you know, but they're still at war with God if they are without Jesus. If there's to be reconciliation between God and man, the initiative must come from God. He gets our attention. He has ways of getting our attention. And you've heard it said they got down so far into the pit, they finally hit rock bottom, that they looked up. And you know, sometimes that needs to happen. You get to rock bottom, you're like, it's just all darkness down here. And, it, and that's when you look up. And so ultimately, it was through Christ's death that people had peace with God. In Colossians 1.20, it explicitly says he made peace through the blood of his cross. So the Gnostics offered reconciliation to people through Christ, but they could not deliver because their doctrine was off. And listen, if you put the wrong address in a Google Maps, you know, if you put the wrong address in here, what's going to happen? You're not going to end up at the right destination. You ever done that? It's frustrating. You put it in and you're like way off. You're like, where am I? This is a dead end. But it's kind of a no-brainer that if we want to end up in the right destination, we must put in the right directions. It's like, well, if Jesus isn't your main focus for salvation, you'll end up in the wrong destination. I'll never forget when I was driving on the road trip with some friends when I was younger. I, had, I loved this 78 Toyota pickup truck, totally beat up. It was when I was doing concrete. Um, but I was driving on the road with a road trip, you know, with my friends. We got so lost. And this was before anyone had cell phones uh, with maps on it, you know, like we do today. This was during the ancient days of those small blue Nokia phones. Does anyone have one of those? Those small little, yeah, remember those? But, but, but we were so lost, and I was so mad at my friend because he led me astray. And it was about 2 a.m. in the morning, and I stopped at a random house because we didn't, we were almost out of gas. The truck was, we were about to get stranded in the middle of just like there was grass on the both sides of us. We we're like, where are we? But there's this rickety old house. We stopped at 2 a.m., and I, I knocked on the door. I was like, I hope this person doesn't have a shotgun to kill me right now. But I just, I knocked on the door, and, and um, this, this elderly lady opened the door really timidly, and I felt so bad right away. I was like, oh, no. She's like, yes, you know. And I was like, we're lost. Can you help us get to a gas station? And uh, she pr I probably freaked her out. We were freaked out. Everyone was freaked out inwardly. Um, we were in the word, woods. It looked like horror movies, you know. When you're in the woods, sometimes you're like, are we in a horror movie? It was crazy. We were kind of worried. But we finally ended up, she helped us out, praise the Lord. We finally ended up at the correct destination, and we all were just relieved, like, oh, we're in the right place. We're comforted. Jesus is the focal point of salvation, and he reconciles sinful man 
to the holy God. And he's the link between where we, uh, between where we were separated from God and where we should be, which is connected to God. The amazing thing is that God offers reconciliation with the whole universe, actually. It's pretty mind-blowing. Colossians 1.20, again, he reconciles all things to himself, things in earth or things in heaven. So we cannot confuse, I don't want us to confuse universal reconciliation with universal salvation, because universal salvation is the belief that if you accept or reject Jesus, it really doesn't matter, you're going to end up, we're all going to end up with him anyway when these bodies wear out. Whether you accept or reject Jesus, you're saved, don't worry about it. That's not how it works. That's not biblical, right? The Bible clearly teaches in many places that an individual needs to believe in Jesus to be saved. Paul wrote that Christ solved, actually, the sin problem once and for all on the cross. Sin had to be dealt with on the cross of Calvary. And contrary to what the Gnostics taught, Jesus Christ was flesh and blood and had a real body. And John 1.14 tells us he was God in human flesh. And when he died on the cross, he met the just demands of the law because he paid the penalty for humanity's sins. So Romans 5.11 tells us that reconciliation was completed on the cross. That's why I was like, why are these Christians always talking about the cross? You know, it's an instrument of death. It was pain and suffering because that cross is what linked sinful man to a holy God. Our sins were canceled on the cross. It's like if you go to jury duty and you were picked to be on a month-long case, you wouldn't be like, yes, this is going to be awesome. I mean, maybe a few crazies would, but you're just like, you don't want to be, take all your time. And typically that's a burden for people. Yet you have to go through it unless you want to get in trouble, get a fine or go to jail. We have no choice. And so but what if you were picked, and then the next day you came in prepared, trying to be mentally prepared to be burdened, <laughs> to be on this month-long case, and the judge said, dismiss, cancel, go home, forget about it, it's all good, no biggie, go back to your, go back to your job, go back to your normal life, you don't have to be here, it's all fine. Your burdens from the future would be canceled by the judge, and you go home happy, you're like, yes, you know. Most people would praise God at the canceling of jury duty. Our debt of sin is canceled, and that is something to praise God for. How free and how relieving is that? We are forgiven of sin and reconciled to God through Christ. It's a major blessing. And so Jesus is beloved by God. He's the mediator between God and man. He's the bridge to the Father. He's the gateway to eternity. He's the key to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and we can praise him. You see why I went, I went so slow the last few weeks in Colossians? Like, these truths are powerful, and there are just a few important truths I want to end this series with. I want to highlight concerning these two verses. Number one, Jesus is taking care of all things. All things were created by him and for him. He existed before all things, and today he holds all things together. He has reconciled all things through the cross. And that's the thing. You look at the world, and it seems to be falling apart. It seems to be getting darker. It seems to be getting worse. You look at all that's going on, you know, and, and it's like, wow, the word of God is coming to pass. It is going to get darker before the light is shown, if you will. And if you're a believer, then you know that uh, no one on this earth can hold all things together. Only the Lord can. Remember in Colossians 1.18, Paul wrote, in all things he might have the preeminence. And that's the thing. If you feel like you're falling apart, lean upon the Lord Jesus and watch as he holds you together and that's the thing, like, um, Hannah, I'll never forget when uh, our oldest daughter, daughter Hannah here, 
she got her first trophy. Like before she even got her trophy, um, she was she would ask every day, "Are we getting our trophy today?" I give it. No, 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 baby, it's Friday. It's it's like Monday. Every day, do I get my trophy yet? She was so happy to get her trophy. And then she finally got her trophy, and she was so excited. But she kind of saw her trophy as like a toy, and so she played with it and stuff. And and one day, remember what happened? It broke. How did you feel? Sad. <laughs> yeah, she was sad. It broke. This it broke off of the base right here. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'll put some Gorilla Glue on it. And so we put some Gorilla Glue on it and held it there. And, um, but then what happened, what happened to it after that? It broke again. It broke again. So we tried it again, and then what happened? It broke. Yeah, it broke. It just kept breaking. It just broke over and over. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so you know what? I need to get some old-fashioned super glue because that stuff is the best. It's actually better than Gorilla Glue, just my opinion, not giving a review for the company. I'm just saying, like, we got some old-fashioned super glue, and we doused it right there, right? We doused it. It's still there. You can see it. It's clear. But we hold, I held it there for, like, 10 minutes, and then it stayed together, right? And how did that make you feel? Happy. Yeah, happy. And now her trophy is good as new. And now she puts it on a shelf instead of plays with it, right? And so, good job. Good job, Hannah. Um, But that's the thing. Like, we try to handle certain things in life, and they fall apart. And we're like, what the heck, Lord? This is supposed to stay together. I'm trying to control all this. I'm trying to hold it together. But it just seems to be falling apart. You ever try to make something better, and you try so hard, and it just gets worse? You're like, whoa, whoa, this. And it gets worse. Or verbally, let's say that. I always do that, and I always, you know, dig yourself in a hole. You say one thing, you're like, well, this is what I meant. And then my wife, I mean, the person you're talking to is like, no, don't just stop. Just stop. You know, you know how it is, right? You're like, oh, I tried to make it better. I can't. You know, the Lord can, though. And that's the thing. He can hold all things together. We can't. So Jesus is taking care of all things, number one. Number two, Jesus is, he's all we need. All we need is Jesus. In Christ, we are full, and that's what Paul's saying here. And we have all we need in him. Like if everything was taken away tomorrow, if our bank accounts all of a sudden were emptied, you know, if we were hacked, they took everything. If, if someone came to our house and robbed us and took everything from our home, if, if physically we just start to break down, like Job, everything we have is gone, we still have the Lord Jesus. We still have the most important thing because no one could take him out of our heart's home. We still have salvation. We still have a future in heaven. We have all we need. It's like it's like going on vacation. When you go on vacation, you know, I, you want to make sure that you have everything you need for the trip, right? You have your clothes, your bathroom stuff, your books, your swimsuit, your whatever, food, beach chair. You make sure you have all you need. So when you get there, you're all set. Well, in Christ, we're all set. We have all we need in Christ. It's, it's, not, it's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. We're all set. Jesus is taking care of all things. All we need is Jesus. And number three, lastly, God is pleased when his son is given honor and preeminence. There are some who say they believe in God, but they deny or ignore Jesus. Yeah, I believe in God, but Jesus, weird. No, I don't want any of that, no. God is not pleased with this outlook, and it does not lead to salvation, because there's salvation, the Bible says, in no other. And again, when our girls received their first trophies, you know, playing soccer, they were so happy, they were so pleased, and I was pleased, and I was blessed, because they were happy, because they did a good job playing on the team. And as a father, I'm pleased when my daughters do well. It blesses me. And similarly, our Father in heaven is pleased that the Son gets the honor, that he gets the recognition. And even then, we see in the Gospels that Jesus gets the glory, but he acts as a glory deflector. He deflects the glory off of himself and gives it to the Father. And he gives the glory right back to God. And that's the thing. We want to be glory deflectors, if you will. Reflect the Lord's glory back to him. Don't look at me. Stop looking. Look at him, you know. 
Because we're blessed to do well in this life, but we must give credit where credit is due. Jesus. And so John 5, 23 and 24, it says that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but be passed from death unto life. And in our lives, he deserves all the glory, all the credit, the preeminence, right? He's taking care of all things. He's all we need. And Jesus is ple- or God is pleased when Jesus is given honor. So Christ is the beloved by the Father, and we are beloved by the Son, Such good news, and so comforting, and it's so reassuring, and now we get out there and we tell people, let them know about the God of all comfort, where we get our uh, uh, reassurance from. Uh, The truth is, he sets us free, right? And and that's the thing, what truth are we spreading? Well, there's, there's only one truth spiritually, which is the only truth that actually can save a soul, and it's contained in the word of God. So through Christ, people, you know, we are saved, but then we're given real hope, we're given real love, we're given real life, and we don't want to just keep that to ourselves. You know, we don't want to keep that secret. We want to let people know about real hope, real love, real life. And it's amazing to be beloved by the Lord. It's amazing. Like, he absolutely loves his children, and he absolutely loves you. And sometimes you're not, you don't feel like it. Sometimes you feel horrible. Sometimes you're like, this is, I, don't, I woke up unsaved. No, you're still saved. You just don't feel good, right? Like, you know, or you have these battles. But listen, we have to remember, we're beloved by the Lord Jesus, always and forever. It's never going to end. His love doesn't run dry. It's not going to be like, okay, I gave you enough love this week. Like, go find it somewhere else now. No, it's always from him, and it's always for him. And so Jesus is essential. <laughs> he is essential. That's the main point, right, as we looked at these these sort of four lessons as we looked at these verses. He is essential. He is all we need. It's all about Jesus. And so Christ is a savior. Christ is a creator. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is beloved by the Father. So let's pray. And then uh, why don't we stand up and we'll pray and then we'll uh, worship to one more song. And Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you are so essential. You are essential to salvation, Lord. And we pray, God, if Anyone hasn't asked you, Christ, into their heart's home, Lord, that they would, God, that you would radically work, God, that you would save souls, Lord, that you would use us um, as, as, as channels to be able to spread the truth to people that need the truth, to people that are lost, lonely, questioning, worried, anxious, fearful about what's going on in the world. We have absolutely no reason to fear. We can walk through a storm with an actual smile because we know you and we can tell people about you. Lord, and so we thank you for that truth and that reality. We thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're with us, that you love us, that you love every single person here and listening online and all over the world. And uh, God, your love never runs dry. You're so good, so powerful. And we thank you that you use your power not to pummel us, but you use your power to spread peace in our hearts, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. amen.